Welcome to Vancouver True Crime. I'm Mark. I'm the host of the show. Today I have a very special guest. I'm very honored to have Chantel, the divorce coach. So why don't you introduce yourself, Chantel, and kind of what you offer and your services. We've been talking so much off air, and I thought, oh my God, we better get going with the show, so we better save it for the podcast, right? Exactly. Well, I'm Chantel of the Divorce Hub, and my goal is to help victims and survivors of abuse, specifically narcissistic and sociopathic abuse strategically and methodically leave their abusers. Hopefully I'm hired before they leave and because that just really lays a good foundation. But if not, then anytime after leaving, because as we know, typically with abusers, abuse doesn't end because the relationship ends. It no. oftentimes and it like, in, like intensifies and amplifies after you actually. And I help with everything. I help from hiring lawyers to knowing what kind of questions to ask, to what to expect, through the process to safeguarding yourself and your children. Abusers will typically use your children as pawns to hurt you. How to create really effective and maintain effective boundaries around your peace and your new life. And how to parallel parent, how to document, how to communicate effectively so you're no longer stuck on the merry-go-round. Right. Nonsensical communication with your abuser. So all that sort of stuff under one giant umbrella. Well, that's amazing because like we were, I was talking firsthand, I've been kind of going in a deeper dive into narcissistic abuse. And one of my thoughts are is because divorce has a massive impact on kids and it has a massive impact actually even on our society. Most of the kids that become juvenile delinquent, homeless, drug addiction, which is super prevalent in Vancouver, and not only that, but even dangerous because of the fentanyl and opiate crisis, is caused by parenting poor parenting and parents that can't get along, that have conflict, abuse each other, and ultimately divorce. Every kid that I've ever met that's been having a hard time currently or has had a hard time in the past was because of their parent uh, divorce. So divorce has a massive impact on children and on our society. The narcissistic abuse, it seems to take it to a, another level. There's a million reasons why parents don't get along, and, and not all people that divorce are bad people. There's many reasons that are legitimate to divorce, it's for, for maybe it's sometimes best for the kids to divorce. But in these scenarios where you have someone, for lack of a better word, a monster who maybe they're not classically violent, but they're highly manipulative. They know how to pit people together. They know how to destroy people's self-esteem. And they know how to abuse by eroding someone's self-esteem by insults, put-downs, causes a massive mental issues and mental health problems and, and has a massive impact on our society. So I think this is an important conversation, and I'm really happy that you're here to talk about it with me. It's incredibly important. And what you just prefaced this whole conversation with is something that falls under the category of ACE scores. And I'm not sure if you've heard of ACE scores. Uh, but it actually refers to adverse childhood experiences. Typically, children who are exposed to a plethora of things within their home life, the higher the score, the worse off the child will be later on in life. Wow. Uh, and ACE scores uh, fall under things like sexual abuse, emotional abuse, physical abuse of the children, plus intimate partner violence, i.e. to parents, from incarceration through to alcoholism or drug addiction. And children who are exposed to four or more scores on the ACE score typically suffer long-term mental, emotional, and physical health issues later on in life, including wow. depression, anxiety, addiction themselves, all that sort of stuff. Really interesting and really important to understand that there actually is 
a whole study, and it's called ACE, ACE scores. Well, yeah, no, thank you. I'm going to definitely look into that because it's just, you know, anecdotally, just from my experience, you know, people I grew up with, people I've seen, people's kids that I've seen who are really, you know, struggling and doing the the regular things for themselves, you know, kids with low self-esteem, getting involved in gangs, getting involved, terrible things. You ask them what's going on, why would it happen? Oh, it started when we divorced. It, when since, since we started divorcing, I noticed my kid is you know, their behaviors has changed, right? Maybe talk a bit about, we talked about this quite in depth off air, about <laughs> why, you know, the family court doesn't seem very family friendly. Boil it down. Well, it really comes down to a lack of education. Um, I'm sure there are people who simply just don't care, but a lot of judges and lawyers and experts, child psychologists, social workers, all the people who are part of the process in family court, and it's not just a Canadian issue. It's not just an American issue. It's literally a worldwide family court crisis. They right. just don't have the understanding. They don't have the education. And so they show up ignorant. I like they're either they simply don't care or they choose to not put in the time to educate themselves. So you have judges who preside over domestic violence cases with zero training. And unfortunately, the societal belief is that um, domestic abuse is just about the parents. Um, and again, remember, it's not just physical, domestic violence, domestic abuse is any form of abuse that happens between people in any kind of relationship. And they believe, unfortunately, that if you separate the parents, the abuse will stop, that it's merely right. an incompatibility issue between the adults and that it doesn't have an impact on the children. Like we talked about, narcissistic abusers do not stop abusing because the relationship ends. They always up the ante post-separation into what is known as post-separation abuse. So right. it's really critical that people who are involved in the family court system, from judges all the way through your lawyers and everybody in between, is educated so that they're aware of how presenters operate, how they actually, how abusers present. Abusers aren't these monsters. They don't look terrible. They oftentimes are incredibly charming and charismatic and educated and articulate. And they present really well in court. They do yes. not present as discombobulated and irrational. They're calm. They love that kind of stage. They love right. to have this kind of stress, whereas the average person, especially a victim who's depleted, who's exhausted, who is fighting for the safety of their children and themselves, they come across oftentimes as unhinged and irrational, emotional. Um, and then you have cases where children are sent to live with abusers and... Right. Best case scenario, these children experience trauma just by living with an abuser. At the worst case, they die at the hands of their parents. Yeah, that's all the most awful, you know, scenario. But even even like on the subtle spectrum, I do a series with the narcissistic survivor. On the spectrum, you know, on, on the lightest is, is walking on eggshells. But walking on eggshells for months on end or years on end it, it is abuse. It, it really is. But but when you try to explain that to someone, it, oh, you know, you're not being hit, not being. And I think that is the pervasive mentality in society is that if yeah. you're not being punched or hit, and it's not a physical bruise, yeah. uh, then it is not actually abuse. But you have to understand that any type of fear or stress that's prolonged, right? Mm -hmm. Prolonged stress wrecks havoc on your body and literally leads to people's massive health issues long-term, sure. cancer, yeah. fibro, anxiety, depression, weight gain, weight loss, thyroid issues. These are all things that are impacted by exposure to stress. Stress is merely supposed to be a short-term fight-or-flight 
right? Like to get you out of being chased by a T-Rex. Um, but if you're living in it, even if you're just, and I just in quotations, living and walking on eggshells, you're constantly under stress. When is my parent going to isolate me or ignore me or neglect me? When is my parent going to give me affection? All that creates massive amounts of stress, which then impact the child's ability to fully survive and thrive and reach their full potential. Giving your kid a disability so they can't function in this world or even a world that's even more complex. So to me, that that is pure abuse because I believe a job as a parent is to prepare your kid for society and be able for that kid to adjust and be part of a, a larger community. And when they can't, well, that's the thing. As far as they're concerned to the world, they are the perfect parent, right? And anybody... Oh, absolutely. On paper, like, oh, perfect parent. Oh, paper. yeah. And you boil it down as they cannot take accountability for anything, even if they're the grandiose form of narcissist or sociopath or a covert one, right? Who comes yeah. across as more humble, shy, or more vulnerable. At the end of the day, they will not ever take accountability. They are always a victim of circumstance. It's never their fault, which is why they manipulate everybody into deflecting and projecting all that sort of stuff that they do behind the scenes. Yes. Um, even to people that think that they're good people, it's all because they can never be held accountable. They are perfect. And it's no. part of their very curated facade because underneath all of that is a very, very fragile ego. Um, and so anybody who holds them accountable or presents them with the fact has to be destroyed because yes. their entire existence is about pretending, about facilitating this lie where they are, in fact, perfect. They're always the smartest person in a room. Oh, yeah. They're yeah. always the best, like the best looking. They're always the richest. They're yeah. always the best parent. They're always yeah. the most successful business person. Um, they're never at fault. They're never able to ever be held accountable. And the tragedy is that these children come out of childhood with a deficit. They don't experience stability. They don't no. experience unconditional love, right? You're supposed to feel safe with your parents in your home. Society indoctrinates us all to believe that all parents love their children. Yeah. And that, I think, is a massive disservice for children who are raised by abusers because the cognitive dissonance, understanding societally that your parents love you unconditionally, but then experiencing isolation, triangulation, mm -hmm. scapegoating, gaslighting, manipulation, yeah. all that sort of stuff as a child, really, the child doesn't stop loving their parent. They stop loving themselves. Yeah, And that exactly. is yes. the, the foundation of all the other issues that they have emotionally and mentally. The people pleaser in the house, right? They're, they're doing that to create peace, to yes. avoid confrontation. Right. Um, yeah. You said something very interesting, and I, and I was saying this in another conversation. The child stops loving themselves. And I said this in another conversation about another very narcissistic, abusive relationship that I've been uh, witness to. It's not in my relationship, but I've been witness to. And this is what I boil down to. This abuse, what it's, do what it's done, <clears throat> it has stripped the ability of both the children to love themselves. So if they can't love themselves and they can't do what's best for themselves, you know, when you love yourself, you do what's best for yourself. They've lost their ability to love themselves. So if they can't love themselves, how do you expect these kids to show respect or, or love uh, for anyone else? So in my opinion, this parent has stolen the ability of this of these two children to love themselves. And now both of these children are in, in terrible mental 
in, in shape and then hopefully some miracle will turn around, but these kids need a lot of help. And it's all because of a narcissistic abusive parent that just... Um, and and the thing is, is that oftentimes there are those children, just like you described, who come across as in, like in a deficit, right? They don't take care of themselves. They don't shower. They don't present. Mm-hmm. But there's also a lot of children who present beautifully, right? So right. it's very hard as teachers and caregivers and therapists to actually spot these children because they're highly perfectionistic. Right. They have a lot of onus on their appearances and their accolades, right? So they perform really well. Um, and so they appear to society, especially in our society, where we are really honed into how you present, right? The awards, like, but we we don't have kindness awards. We have no. athletic awards. We have academic yeah. awards, right? So right. these children who are also raised in these incredibly abusive homes mm-hmm. come out and present really well. Their hair is always immaculately brushed. Their clothes are always impeccable. They get the highest grades. They, yeah. you know are on all these teams and they do really well, those children are equally deficient at home. For sure, because then those kids usually have a bad crash too. I've seen that before too. Mm-hmm. And then it comes right. out, oh, there's the secret. And yeah, it's it's interesting what abuse does because in a household, if there isn't a say abusive dad, one kid could present himself, as you said, another kid could present himself very differently. One can become a very people pleaser, and then the other one becomes a uh, very abusive. Yeah, and there's I'm like the hierarchy. So I'm like the golden child, the favorite child, yes. uh, is the child who's chosen to represent the parent's perfection to society, right? This is the child, and this role can change at any time, which is why kids are constantly competing to have that role. So it's always stressful. So that child tends to get more accolades, gets like, the best parenting gets the best exposure right. to stuff because they are the ones who try really hard to show the world. They tend to be perfectionists. They tend to have high anxiety. Um, and yes, they tend to be closer to the narcissistic parent because the parent views them as an extension of themselves. Look how perfect I am based yes. on my child. And then you have the child, if there's like three or four children, you have I'm like the people pleasers who fall like in between. Um, and they tend to be very accommodating, but they also tend to be children who then grow up to partner with people just like this because yes, they yeah. have no boundaries, right? And then at the very end of the spectrum, you have the scapegoat child and all the ills of the family are placed right. on this one child yeah. and that child is responsible for all the wrong stuff. And so again, it deflects responsibility from the narcissistic parent who then projects onto this one child all the ills that they have, right? Uh, and that child tends to be the child who struggles. Um, and again, just like anybody who loses control, if you don't have control, especially in your home life, especially when you're young and vulnerable and impressionable, yeah. you you create maladaptive coping mechanisms, right? These are children who might cut. These are children who yeah. have high anxiety and depression. These are children who turn to substances to numb themselves. These are children uh, who have, you know, anorexia and bulimia because they have no control. So they really struggle to find control in another way so that they actually have control over their own lives some way. Yeah, that makes sense. Like you brought up some stuff that got me thinking as well. Or mm-hmm. So let's talk about this for people that are listening, maybe men or women, uh, probably more so women, unfortunately, who could be thinking about divorcing their partner that's narcissistic, abusive, sociopathic, maybe all these things. And maybe what are the some of the things they should start thinking about, especially if they're in one of these types of relationships? Because divorcing what I've seen, you know, personally, divorcing, it's on it's on about it's like you gotta win your freedom. It's not just divorcing uh, you know, you're escaping. 
Yeah, exactly. Because again, I've I've known a lot of people in my life and known a lot of people who've gotten divorced and even people that were both kind of crappy who've had tough divorces, but they weren't narcissistic. They were just kind of crappy people, right? Maybe they had alcohol issues or whatever. These people are on a whole different level. When you divorce mm-hmm. them, it, it's, it's scorched earth. It's getting ready for the earth to be salted and trench warfare. So the more I, and I, and I can't stress this and I'm pretty sure you can, the more you can understand this up front of what you're going to go into better. Right. Well, and here's the thing. And that's why I created my page. And that's why I do the work that I do, because I really can't stress this enough. Education is key. Knowledge is power. Right. Um, and so many victims, um, for whatever reason, simply don't understand that leaving is not going to be the hardest part. It's staying gone. That's going to be the hardest part. Leaving even though it's scary and there's so many obstacles, uh, it's the easiest part of you leaving a narcissistic or sociopathic abuser. Once you leave, it's game on. Gloves yeah. are off and it is absolute warfare. And you are public enemy number one because you have dared leave them. Abandonment is their greatest concern, right? Even if they cheated on you and discarded yeah. you, you moving on, you filing for divorce. Yeah. You doing anything that's not continuously tethered to them and not at their constant beck and and call, you become the enemy because you've abandoned them. And then their other fear is exposure, right? So if you've left them and you're educated about and you start to put the pieces together and confront them on their behavior, Mm -hmm. their other fear is exposure because they've worked their entire lives to create this public persona, right? Um, So people need to be methodical. I rarely get clients who hire me before they leave. Uh, And while I can be very effective after you leave, if you've hired the wrong lawyer and there's been motions and orders in place, it's really hard for me to effectively help you because there's already been issues and obstacles put in place by the court system, by the, by everybody. Mm -hmm. The best time to hire me or any other kind of high conflict divorce coach is before you even have the discussion or escape um, so that you can be strategic, so that you can be methodical in how you extricate yourself from the abuse. Financially, ensuring that you have funds. I mean, the easiest way to keep a person uh, submissive and acquiescent is to restrict their access to money. And guess what is the first thing that most abusers do is they cut you off from credit cards, bank accounts. They put you into debt so you can't even get a credit card. Good luck trying to rent a car or get an apartment if you have no credit or very poor credit. Right. Um, so it's really important that if people are thinking of leaving, that they do the work before they even allow their partner to understand that they're leaving. Now, these people are hyper attuned to spidey senses. They can pick up when things are changing, when they feel you pulling away. And so if you're planning on leaving, you need to be very careful that you do not allow them to see that you're leaving, that they have no idea. Uh, And that means that you need to safeguard yourself electronically, right? Change your passwords, um, clear your search histories, ensure that you have a nest egg that they don't know about. That you also journal and or document all the infractions, everything, and be specific, time and place, who was there, what happened, in a place that they can't access. They will go through your stuff. They will access your phones. They will access your emails. They'll go through your purse, uh, your wallet, your car. So it's yeah, really they don't important. have any boundaries at all. Like they really don't. And they don't. Nothing is they off the table. They see you as a real human being. They see you as, or they just see you as like a construct that they've created in their head of what and you're leaving, be like. And leaving is the scariest point. So even if your partner has never been physical in your actual relationship, prepare for them to become physical again. Yeah. You have literally triggered their worst fear of abandonment. 
uh, and they're losing control and losing power over you. So they must increase their tactics to get you to submit back into the fold. Yeah. Um, so they will literally do everything in their power and they have no no morals. There's no ethics, right? No. So it truly is warfare yeah. at all costs. They don't care who gets killed in no. the crossfires. They've said scorched earth. Yeah, which is why they oftentimes use their children. They literally view their children as pawns, right? And oh, they know totally. if you're a protective, loving, healthy parent, yeah. the worst way to hurt you is to hurt your children or restrict your access to your children. Yeah, no, they absolutely can be awful. And then we talked a little bit about, you know, before we started about the family court system, because people hear family court, they think, oh, they're going to care when when I tell them about the, all the affairs that they had and they're going to care about all the verbal abuse and they're going to care about, you know, all the isolation and the financial abuse and this and that. And, and, and then to most people's astonishment, those are not even really kind of the shoulder shrug and, and uh, family court. Did well, because you, again, he you with the belt, he, he, <laughs> he paid the mortgage. Right. And again, the, the premise is that it's an incompatibility issue. So yeah, you guys are just having a con. Separate the two guys, the, just can't the adults. Yeah. Right. And everything will stop, right? Did That's why I ever think about doing mediation or couples therapy yeah. or, you know, therapy. It's, and it's always, therapy. learn how to communicate with each other, right? Co parenting. I mean, co parenting. See, the problem is that it's possible to a victim to extricate themselves and to live a really beautiful life. But if you're constantly tethered to your abuser through your children, right? Yeah. Children are the ultimate constraint, right? They literally shackle you to your abuser for 18 years until your yeah. child ages out of the system, right? right? And you can't fully heal and thrive while constantly having to be in contact with the person who created all of your stress and anxiety sure. yeah. and like an issues. And that's why it's so imperative that all of society, from top down, from judges all the way through to society, understand the real underlying premise of abuse, that it's all about power and control, and that it does not stop simply because two people part ways, that it oftentimes intensifies, and they need to understand that nothing is off the table with this type of abuser. They will literally do everything at all costs to break you, you being the victim. And they will use your children all the time. This is why children get killed by parents, right? It's yes, the ultimate yes. injury to the healthy, sure. protective parent. Yeah. And the pets, too. They'll target the pets as well. The The other thing, too, in, in cases, you know, and unfortunately in my platform, I, you know, over the years, I've had DMs from women mostly from every horrible scenario, from very brutal domestic abuse to, you know, narcissistic abuse, gaslighting, you, you name it, the whole thing, right? Sexual assaults, everything. And, and and what it comes down to, like what you said, it gets the most dangerous when they're trying to leave because that's mm -hmm. when they're trying to exert even more control. You know, like, yeah. you know, we can't emphasize that too. So it, we talked a little bit also about hiring a lawyer that's trauma-based informed. And why is that important? Well, because you need a lawyer who actually truly understands this type of personality. A lot of them spout and they wax lyrical about being, you know... I they they are knowledgeable about narcissists. They understand abuse, but they truly don't understand. And it's important for them to understand because then they can be strategic in how they tackle this. Your lawyer's job is to advocate for you, right? To right. get you and your children what you need to be able to leave safely and continue to have a life 
post-separation and after divorce. Um, and if they don't truly understand this, then A, they won't be able to help you as a as a human who has experienced ongoing trauma and is easily triggered and is easily reactive, right? And they also won't be able to advocate for you effectively in court and do what needs to be done to get you your freedom. Uh, and they will prolong uh, things. They will do the wrong things, not truly understanding that it's life and death, yeah. even if you survive, your quality of life, if not dealt with properly, no. uh, is going to be greatly diminished for you and your children. I've witnessed too is like how creative that they can be with abuse. And then, and then like I used to, I used to even say, they can weaponize everyday objects as abuse. Like things that mm -hmm. well, if you try to repeat as, as an abusive system, they could take any scenario that maybe you have to cooperate with them. Part of what I also offer my clients is help with their parenting plans or their right. court orders around parenting, because I have seen so many poorly written parenting plans, which for average people is fine, right? We yes. Even if egos are bruised and people have been cheated on and left, the average person at some point will be able to dust themselves off and do what's actually best for their children. Yeah. But this type of person is not your average bear. And if parenting plans aren't airtight, the language is so ambiguous in so many parenting plans, which allows all these loopholes and all these gray areas, which is a playground for this type of... A so the parenting plan needs to be airtight. Language needs to be rock solid. There cannot be any gray. It's black or white. It has to be so specific, oh. um, which is what I do with a lot of my clients is help them either, hopefully, if they hire me soon enough, because they know, again, knowledge is power, I'm able to at least create some sort of awareness as to what to include in your language so that you're not stuck with ambiguity that then creates engagement, which then... Like an insect that can just worm its way in through something you would just some completely overlook, you know, they're... And they'll misinterpret things that are so very clear, yeah. specifically just to get you engaged. Remember, yeah. their worst fear is not being relevant. So yeah. they need you to engage with them to feel relevant, which then makes right. them feel powerful. So if you just yeah. ignore them, like... This is why you have to pick your battles. Yes, yeah. you could die on every mountain, no. but do you yeah. really want to? You need no. to pick and choose. And sometimes you just need to turn the other cheek and let them have whatever it is because that safeguards your peace and your sanity. And also by not becoming a supply for them, becoming really boring to them. So yes. boring that yeah, it's no longer worth their while. Yeah. yeah. Which you can't gray rock effectively when you're going through a court system. No. Uh, but you can certainly diminish your appeal to them because you're no longer reacting. That's another thing that I do with people is help them learn to communicate effectively so that they come across as just business. It is just business. Yeah, you know, like emotion. Experiences. I had to go through the whole gauntlet myself because, you know, again, I can be pretty blunt, uh, maybe argumentative. I'm passionate about something. I've learned with those types of person, it's the worst thing you can do. Been in blunt and say, hey, this is how I feel about that. Oh, my God. And then, of course, they turn it around on them. Like, you know, oh my, how can you say this to me and this and that? So, yeah, the, the communication style has to be very adjusted. My uh, my approach is more of a, for over time, is almost being very clinical with them. Just being very oh. clinical, very almost. And less is more. Yeah. Any emotion is fodder for them. Any emotion. So it's yeah, no emotion and and also to the easiest way if they say something absolutely ridiculous, I just re repeat it back to them. Like just repeat the sentence and say nothing. Like really. Well, and what I always tell my clients is uh, 
never ever talk to them like you're not actually having like a dialogue no, it's everything no. has to be in writing it, a that also protects you so that you can actually go back and say well actually we did have this conversation and you actually they did say that lie like on the other thing i noticed is like massive pathological liars and then they can oh. recreate live in this kind of fantasy world and the fantasy world is whatever they utter or speak becomes reality in their head maybe yeah. if they repeat it 10 times it, they yeah. believe it then you're wondering okay am i dealing with a pathological liar who's psychotic or am i dealing with a delusional person who believes their lies you know maybe you're dealing with both yeah because you have to remember their entire life is a lie everything about them is a lie right what they present to the world that's a lie how they wax poetical about being amazing that's all a lie but they have to believe their lies because if they don't believe their lies then they're forced to actually deal with who they are as people and that becomes it's too vulnerable they, they literally create this whole persona this whole yes. armor to avoid having to look at themselves yeah, it's a remember, fantasy it's kind of funny yes actually, you know, it's a shame based that, disorder, Italian right? word, what they call a fugazi <laughs> their whole life is a fugazi right? <laughs> yeah you know what I mean? um that's why people have to learn to just be unemotional with them and you never like, like i always tell my clients just because they text you or email or call you doesn't mean you have to engage oh no, exactly your job like really the foundation of everything is creating boundaries and if yeah. you're a people pleaser that's really hard uh, if you're a woman that's even harder right yeah um and if you have been abused in any capacity you have zero boundaries by the end of it right because you've been yes. conditioned over yeah. time to always acquiesce to their ever-changing wills and wants and needs so your first job truly is to create boundaries and then really maintain them. Just like a toddler. If right. a toddler says, mommy, can I have a candy? And they ask you 300 times and you keep yeah. saying no. But oh, I, the first time yeah. Yeah. you give them a candy, what have they just learned, right? They've yeah. learned okay. that by asking for enough times. Yeah, exactly. Right? So you really have to ensure that your boundaries are things that you're going to actually be able to consistently enforce. If you give in just once after you've created a boundary, you've, you've taught them that they can yeah, keep comfy. And, and that's the new goalpost for them. That's the other thing I, I noticed, too. It's like, yeah, they can berate you. They can just pick at you. Da, 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 and then as soon as you agree, okay, it's like written in stone. But yeah. if you ask them something a hundred times, well, I never agreed to that. And the thing you is, you have to remember, right? It's like the standards These... are so different. Yeah. yeah. And these conversations for average healthy people are exhausting. Yes. You leave yes. depleted. But yeah. you have to remember, the more you engage with them, they love this. They yeah, literally yeah. are empty and they need to feel alive. So you engaging with them, you going back and forth, that back and forth conversation, yeah. that is actually yeah. not stressful for them. That actually creates. <laughs> no, a term that used to be used a lot, like this is kind of like in the 90s, people used to use this term. And I think it really applies when they see the psychic vampires. You don't really hear it as much in term anymore. But that's what it's kind of like what it is, because it's like. You know, someone's like a physical uh, creep and stuff like that. You know, they cross most people's boundaries and they can't really go too far with that behavior. If I slap someone, cops get called right away. You hit someone, da, 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 right? You're up yeah. to assault because it's clear cut. But with psychic vampirism, you first, you weaken the person, isolate the person, drain the person. Everything the person says is stupid. You know, you're so dumb. Good thing you have me in your life. You have me to build you up. And then there's this false kind of like uh, pretense that you're, you're, you're so fortunate to have me and to not have you. So then there's a brainwashing. And then it's just slowly picking at that person until they're lifeless, right? And then the mm-hmm. discard. And then, and then if that person decides to leave in the discard, think of the mindset they are in. 
right? They're, oh. they're completely like, you know, they're almost like I, I would compare them to someone that's trying to escape a cult. Yeah. Well, that's exactly what it is. Like a cult is just this, but on steroids, right? Yeah. It's the same yeah. premise. More people involved, more neighbors. Absolutely. And, and you can see this type of relationship throughout society. Yeah. Um, people in power are oftentimes this type of personality as well. And they literally are energy vampires. They literally suck you dry yeah. and then discard you. And any movement past them is considered abandonment. Ergo, a big threat. Right. Ergo, they need to pulverize you. Like, truthfully, if you committed suicide, that would be ideal for them. Oh, because yeah, they, yeah, totally. You yeah, do their totally. dirty work for them. Yeah, that, that their, would their, be a Their goal is to break you. Yeah, and that's disgusting, right? Think about that. Mm -hmm. When you understand that, that if you died, that would probably be a victory for them. So that's yeah. that you got to cl uh, be clear on. A question I want to ask you, just maybe in your experience, because like you've probably seen like the whole you know gauntlet of spectrums of these people. Have you ever seen anyone that had any success? Like, for example, what I mean by success is like holding them accountable. Let's say, for example, you're dating or married to someone and they were having multiple affairs, but they always denied it. And then finally you got a private investigator, prevented the, all the evidence and things like that. And I know they would always try to worm their way out of it. But have you ever seen it where it's just like the evidence is so stacked against them where they actually would be held accountable? No. See, here's the thing is they, they can literally not admit that they are wrong, thing wrong, because that would be scratching at their facade. That would be exposing themselves. Because remember, they're, it's a very shame-based disorder. Yeah. They are very, very delicate egos. They have very yeah. fragile egos. Anything that smacks of dysfunction or abuse or imperfection is intolerable. Right. Um, so they always come up with a story that to right. them they have to believe. So even if you have mountains of evidence, like literally you have photographic evidence, video right. evidence of penetration, right? Uh, like uh, uh, actually uh, cheated. Like this yeah, is actually yeah, like, like this clear cut fidelity. Like yeah. there is not like you yeah. might have gone into her hotel room and yeah, no, perhaps you guys just playing, playing you know, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, they will say, well, actually, you have not validated me as a human. You've not given me enough love, right? So. They, they always have to deflect because to admit fault mm -hmm. is unacceptable to them. Right. They're always the victim. You'll, you'll, and you'll see this pattern repeated. They're yeah. always the victim in their office. They're always the victim in their family. They're always the victim with yeah. their friends. Well, I don't know why my friends all turned on me. I don't know why my boss fired me. I don't know why my coworkers hate me. I don't know why the barista at Starbucks, you know, yeah. threw a latte at me. I'm never at fault. Everybody else Four in the world is going through life and this everyone hating on them and they're just misunderstood, yes. right? They're misunderstood. Yes. And the common denominator is them. A lot of times they're only successful because somehow either because of their parents or other enablers, they call them flying monkeys, right? That, that, that they can do no wrong. Like, and I've been in situations that are so toxic. And the only reason why this person is able to do what they can do is because they, they're, they're propped up either by other enablers, sometimes parent or, or someone. It, it is absolutely disgusting and gross because it's like you can see what a monster this person is and, oh, no, they're wonderful. It's you. It's you. You know what well, I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. And here's the thing is that these individuals tend to come from this type of familial dysfunction right? right they're bred this way yeah. not all but a lot even if in these 
these families are not happy families, no. even if no. they present. So when they're under threat, the family will bond together, yes. will come yes. to the aid of whoever's being threatened of exposure, yeah. of being held accountable of mm -hmm. also showing the world and exposing their dysfunction, right? Because yes. in these families, appearances are everything, right? So if you have, and you, they always have enablers, right? This is why I think that it's so important that people understand what abuse looks like so that they stop enabling people. If you're yeah. neutral in this type of thing, if you don't actually put a stake in the sand and say, I cannot be yeah. friends with the person, I cannot support a person mm -hmm. financially, right? Stop giving people your business yeah. if you know that they're abusers, right? Cut ties with toxic friends who yeah. may not be abusing you, but have abused their their spouse this is why people need to hold these people accountable yeah. by not supporting them involved too you know and their kids are being damaged oh well, i haven't seen anything yeah it's, it's it, and i think a lot of the times these people are only effective because somehow they figured out to create a little cheering squad for them or something and that, that's the thing i find the most bizarre Oh, and it's disgusting. And these yeah. these people are propped up by their families, by their not even friends. They don't really have friends. No, they have they acquaintances. Have friends. They don't have friends. Uh, but and they tend to be people who benefit from the relationship, yeah, right? Yeah, so maybe if you they have or the, the money person to that buys all the booze at the party, yeah, or yeah, has great parties, or might invest in your company down the road. Yeah. Uh, but here's the beautiful thing about these people is that these abusers are not happy. No. Age and time is their worst enemy. Yes. It is a victim and a survivor's best friend. It is their worst enemy. Yeah. They never die surrounded by loved ones. They yeah. die alone and yeah. lonely and bitter. Right? And unless they travel a lot and like move from location to location, they burn so many bridges. Yeah. You as a victim, so many people want like revenge yes. your best revenge is moving right. on is yeah. creating a life that you can feel oh, secure sure. in and peaceful and happy and just give them time they will expose themselves over time and it might not be two years no. it might be 15 20 years but over time they will burn the bridges because they treat people like this Horribly. in all the relationships right i've noticed something too and it's just i don't know maybe it's not a nice thing to say but See, when I was younger, right, and I, you know, people say the we use the word narcissist, right? We associate that with someone being arrogant, right? You know, narcissist, that maybe they were overly concerned with their appearance, or they're actually usually the opposite of that. They're usually actually quite hideous. I'm not even joking, like, as far as time. They're quite uh, unattractive people, but somehow they they know how to manipulate really well present very differently than what what you think classically what a narcissist is and that's sometimes why people let their guard down around them too because they can be quite subtle at first they're not like all an event themselves more as a victim to you at first oh poor me i've been through all so much stuff and they try to get your guard down by making you feel sorry for them and then ingratiating themselves that way they're just misunderstood it's like subtle i think i find in the very beginning with most of them again society has ideas right and we stand firm on those ideas. So we typically think of a narcissist as a grandiose, an overt narcissist, yes. right? Who yes. tends to be charismatic and charming and mm -hmm. the life of every party and knows yeah. exactly what to say and does not present as humble or vulnerable. Yeah. Uh, but there are, and those are easier to spot because we typically associate an abuser of that variety with that kind of format. But there's a whole spectrum, right? And there, sure. at the very end of it, you have the vulnerable 
covert narcissist who oftentimes comes across as shy, you know, kind of weak, insecure. um, And those ones are hard to spot and they tend to easily and openly play the victim card. Whereas the the, uh, overt ones don't present as a victim. They present as in charge, right? They're large and in charge. Think Donald Trump. And that's what we're looking at there, right? And substance abuse seems to always seem to go hand to hand. Sometimes it's secretively, sometimes it's quiet, but I find that most of the cases, they seem to have some other vice, either drug, booze, maybe all of them, right? They're they're addicts because you have to remember they're constantly chasing a high. Yeah, they they can't be by themselves. That's why they always overlap with partners, right? They they constantly need to to be doing stuff, be surrounded by people. Mm-hmm. They can't be quiet because if you're quiet and you're introspective, that's why they don't meditate, for instance. Because these are people. If you confront who you are in the quiet and the solitude, if you're not surrounded by people who are propping you up, who are doing whatever it is that you want to do, then you might actually be vulnerable and they can't be vulnerable right so these are people who constantly have to be doing stuff uh constantly have a partner they literally can't be alone and you can typically see on like an abuser versus a victim as they exit the relationship victims tend to again it's not always there's always exceptions to every rule they tend to be more introspective when they leave a relationship right they're working on themselves they're trying to protect their family they're not jumping into the next relationship. Yeah. yeah. Uh, whereas the abuser has already overlapped, right? Yeah, so they're typically, about it. They're as on. Yep. And they've moved on. They have a new partner. They've moved yeah. in, right? Yeah. Again, anything that presents to the world as being normal is what they want to do. Plus, it also shows that they're actually not the problem. No. Um, that it's the victim who's the problem. Look how unhinged that person is. They can't find a partner. I've already been happily married now, yeah. and I just divorced this person. You'll never like, find anyone as good as me. It's people who get in a relationship, they didn't see it in the beginning. Talk to a narcissist survivor. She talks a lot about their job. Their their main manipulative job is make you go past your red flags. Red yeah. flags, they make you blast past them by dizzying, distracting, love bombing, uh, maybe in the beginning, there's lots of trips and fun stuff and outings and, you know, that kind of fun stuff. And they love you right away, right? You're the love of their life. They've known you in a second and another life. And <laughs> You're their twin flame, their soulmate. They've been yeah. waiting their entire lives for you. This is why I always tell people, take your time and do nothing that permanently tethers you to them. So, what they love to do is to move very fast. Typically, they move very fast, right? So they've just met you on a Monday, and on Sunday, you're now living together, right? So things that keep you attached to them, opening a business together, getting married, yeah, moving in together, having a child, right? Yeah. And children are the ultimate form of bonded. tethering, right? Yeah, exactly. Right? You're bonded to them forever if you have kids, and now, now, now you're part of them, right? You're they then have the ultimate tool to continuously manipulate and control you, right? It's through your children. By hurting your children, by using your children's, you then become uh, abused by proxy through your children. Um, That's why time, you need to take time, space, right? Don't constantly talk to people. Don't be texting all day because you need space to be able to see clearly, to be able to sit with yourself and say, my gut feels a little bit off. It's not just tingly like, I am, have met my soulmate, but it's my gut telling me, hey, something is off here. Yeah. Um. So if they constantly bombard you with stuff, right, if you're constantly engaging with them, even if it's positive stuff, yeah. right, like trips and dinners and outings and seeing them all the time and constantly communicating with them day and night, you don't have the time to sit with yourself no. and say, hey, this 
there there are some giant red flags here. I'm going to slow the brakes down and I'm not going to commit to them. Sure. Um, I'm going, you know, and they can't maintain this curated facade for long. So if you give them enough time, cracks appear, ergo the red flags. Yeah. And then hopefully you avoid this altogether, right? The worst thing people can do is to get into this kind of relationship and then trying to leave. And if you can avoid it altogether. Stuck. Yes, you're never the same person. You can have a wonderful life, but you are now a new version of yourself. Sure. Uh, and with the right strategies, the right experts and the right tools, you can have a really beautiful life, but it's never going to be the life it could have been no. had you not met this partner. Yeah, it's unfortunate because predators that say use dating apps, some of them are, you know, they're rapists or sexual predators. Other ones are financial. They're, you know, they're want to pretend to be your boyfriend, but, oh, you need to rape me a check, Chantel. I'm, I'm a little bit short, but, you know what I mean? Little, little scumbags, right? So they come yes. in a variety of form where they are kind of like a romance scammer in a different way, but they're, um, they're like the ultimate monster that's like the, uh, the time bomb monster, you know, perfect yeah. boyfriend in the beginning. And then once they have you and you're knocked up and then all of a sudden you're, you're, you're either living in another country or another city or, or with their family. And and your whole life it looks like nothing that you imagine it would be. Yeah, and isolating a victim is very very common, and you isolate them from their support, sure. isolate them from people who might oh, be able to look in and say, "Hey, something is very dysfunctional here." You isolate them financially, right? Yeah. They now have control over your access to money, even if it's a very la lavish budget. Like, a, I have clients who you know get ten thousand dollars a week for yeah. their, you know, but. If you have to ask your partner for yeah, access to it's like money, a gilded cage, is what you're saying. Yeah, it it's it's still not freedom. No. Yes, it, like you might be able to go to the spa and might be able to go to run through and buy Gucci and Chanel, but somebody controls your yeah, access. You have to get permission. You can't just say, hey, I'm going to go buy myself some shoes. Yeah. Right? And we're not even talking about people who are stay-at-home parents, for instance. There are people who they're both working, but... He controls the money. Income goes into the other person's account, wow. and that person then controls. Wow. You have no access. You don't have credit cards in your name. You're, Holy cow. you know, this, you know, like you have their credit card, so it's under wow. their name, right? Um, how do you hurt a person? You hurt a person by taking away their yeah. access and to money. You money is power. Yeah, yeah. And then good luck trying to extricate yourself, right? All the stuff costs money. Hiring a lawyer costs money. Yeah, taking right. time off of work costs money. Putting a deposit down on an like an apartment or a townhome costs money. A retainer for a lawyer costs money. Hiring psychologists, all this stuff costs money, and it's impossible to get access to money if it's being hidden by the person who controls it. And the courts enable this, right? They make it yeah. really difficult for victims to have access to stuff. It takes time, yeah. and it's, sometimes it can take years. Yeah. And even then, you might not actually have full disclosure. Well, Chantel, I really appreciate you coming and talking to me about this. Hopefully we can talk about it again. I'd love to have you on again and, you know, other subjects and things like that. We could talk for hours literally about the subject. If, My friends, thank you. <laughs> if uh, people want to get a hold of you and they want your services, how do they get a hold of you? What's the best way? Uh, well, they can follow me on Instagram at the divorce at the underscore divorce underscore hub, uh, or they can check out my website at www.thedivorcehub.ca, uh, or they can email me at chantelle at thedivorcehub.ca. But I'll, I'll put your contact information as well for people. Awesome. I think you're doing a really great thing because, again, from the stuff I've seen, if we knew about you three years ago, wow, we would probably made a massive difference in, in my personal situation too. So, because again, you know, I can't stress enough 
you know, for a person that doesn't really understand the court system, the legal system, you know, we have a teen violent problem of teens doing really violent actions, you know, stabbings and bear spraying and swarmings. So yeah. this has an impact to all our society. And of course, our children are our future. And as we go in the future, we want to have a bright future for them. It's And children are completely dependent on their caregivers. They're completely vulnerable. Yes. And the impact that they're that these people have on them can be hopefully positive, but oftentimes it's completely completely the opposite. Yeah. No, it's it's awful. So thank you so much for talking to me and Awesome. Thanks so much, Mark. You care. Bye bye.